Hi, my name is Marlena Gross-Taylor, and I am having a seat at the table with Wiley Brazier. Come have a seat at the table. You've got a seat at the table. show everyone welcome to a seat at the table i am your host wiley brazier the fifth i'd like to thank everyone for tuning in today today it is my pleasure to have at the table marlena gross taylor welcome to the show marlena thank you wiley for having me not a problem i'm just glad to have you as a part at the table today you know we try to always bring great guests on the show and it is great to have people like yourself to come have a seat virtually with me um let me tell everyone a little bit about marlena in case you don't know who she is Uh, marlena gross taylor is a dedicated and successful ed leader with a proven track record of improving educational and operational performance through vision strategic planning leadership and team building marlena is the founder of edu gladiators which she created to further support educational leaders both in the classroom and at the district level she has been recognized as a middle school master teacher and served as an administrator at the elementary middle and high school levels because of her sound knowledge of both elementary and secondary education Molena has a broad base experience created and implementing dynamic interactive programs to attain district goals while leveraging her flexibility resourcefulness and organizational and interpersonal skills to foster learning through a positive encouraging environment Molena's professional development expertise has has garnered both state and national attention and serves as an AMLE faculty expert and a national keynote speaker. A national a Nashville transplant originally from South Louisiana, Molena's educational experience spans several states, allowing her to have served K through 12 students in rural, suburban and urban districts. She is a proud LSU alumni and believes all students can achieve both at school and in life. So I'm going to say go Tigers with (laughs) Go Tigers. (laughs) Say go Tigers. Okay. Cause you know, that's where I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, And, and, you know, you have such a great resume that I just went through, you know, that's just some great accomplishments. And for those people who have never heard of AMLE, can you tell me what is AMLE? Absolutely. So AMLE is uh, the Association of Middle Level Educators, and it was called way back when, when my mom was the principal there in Baton Rouge, uh, the National Middle Levels Association. And so they went through a little bit of rebranding just in time for this next generation, including myself of, uh, as I like to say, very early millennial, very, very early millennial. Uh, to join in. So it's a great organization focused on middle-level education. All right, cool. And, and so uh, with 
middle level, you know, in different schools, different states, I know you've been uh, educated in different areas and whatnot, you know, some people say, okay, fifth grade is a part of middle school or, or some people say ninth grade, you know, and so uh, when you say middle level, is there a particular age group or what do you think the exact middle level is? What are those typically those age, age ranges or grade levels? Well, that's interesting um, that you brought up that question because, as you mentioned, I have worked in several states as my husband's job has moved us from, from state to state here. And it's been really great because, uh, in my view, before moving the very first time, middle school was just sixth, seventh, and eighth. And it was still very much a junior high model. And then when we moved to uh, North Carolina, we lived in North Carolina, um, very rural area there, um, it was just seventh and eighth and fifth grade or sixth grade was part of elementary. <clears throat> and then also moving back to Georgia and now in Nashville, um, and even here in Nashville proper, they still consider uh, fifth grade as part of middle school. So middle level yeah. is anywhere from adolescence. So that can be as early as 10 years old, um, all the way actually through 16 years old, okay? Um, that's the middle level age group, age band, because that's the adolescence age band. And, and even though middle level is my passion and what I love, I've had the opportunity to work uh, in an elementary setting as an administrator, as a principal, and also at the high school level. And, and guess what I learned, Wally? What's that? What's that? Kids are kids. And some of the same things that I have spent most of my career uh, knowing about kids at the middle level I could see where those things start to take root at the elementary level and being able to nurture, nurture those areas. And then at the high school level, um, I can also, I've also been able to see where some of, those, some of those same characteristics are prevalent there as well. And it's just been able to help me have a, a deeper bond and, and instruct my teachers uh, in a more impactful way in reaching their kids. I am so glad that you said kids are kids. You know, that's like, you know, one one of the things that some of some people that I talk to say, OK, well, kids have changed. Kids have changed. You know, well, you know, <clears throat> kids still start out as a blank slate. Now, we have society that has changed around them and they have access to different things. So the things that we expose them to may impact them at an earlier age and so on and so forth, but they are still kids. They need boundaries. They need expectations. They need guidelines, you know? So I'm just, you know, I wanted to make sure that like, I, that's really, really powerful right there. So like when you, when you were just talking about the kids or kids, I know you've worked in, like you said, uh, uh, urban and rural and suburban areas and different grade levels. I mean, you have a variety, variety of experience. Um, what have been some of the differences or some of the uh, challenges in working with either, you know, difference between a rural area or working in an urban area and a suburban area? What have been some of the, for some leaders, what have been some of the challenges that either you've experienced or you work with and help people work through? Well, you know what? It's actually, when we think about rural ed and urban education, we, we tend to think of, gosh, they're vastly different, but they're really, um, the same, they're two sides of the same coin. There are actually more similarities between the different areas, actually between those two in particular, um, they still both struggle with uh, teacher placement. 
Mm. Whether it's in your challenging urban districts or your very rural areas, right? They still struggle with that. They still struggle with, uh, with substitutes. They still struggle with receiving funding for their needs in the district. Uh, both of those areas, rural and, and suburban, receive, you know, many of them receive Title I funding. And so they're still trying to uh, stretch that money as far as it can go. Um, they're still struggling with infrastructure. So there are more similarities than differences. Now, what I will tell you is that my time coming here in Nashville, because where I, where I worked in Nashville as a principal for, for all these years, has been in a very affluent area. And that was a first for me. They may not struggle with infrastructure. They may not struggle as much with, uh, with teacher placement or, or fulfilling, those, fulfilling those open vacancies. But the kids, no matter where you are, are still struggling with uh, social emotional needs, um, still struggling mm-hmm. with mental health needs, still struggling with discipline. So as much as we'd like to think that they're all so vastly different, I can tell you definitely from my experience, there's so many similarities, which is all the more reason that we need to uh, be connected educators and, and really listen to each other because there's little nuggets that we can take from each other's experiences and apply them um, to our experience to make it a more meaningful environment for our kids. That's great. So, so with these different challenges, you know, there are some things that we as leaders can do to overcome or at least impacts the effects of some of these uh, challenges and, you know, teacher retention and hiring teachers. I think one thing that can have a, a, a positive impact can be, you know, the way that our schools are perceived, you know? And so when, when it comes to like, branding what are your thoughts on branding or is it important to brand your school or is it not matter or like what are your thoughts on branding so this could be because of my uh, strong background and at LSU and in sports in general but branding is everything you know and I often I often tell uh, different groups that I may speak at, because this is often a requested topic about school branding, personal branding, and just how to go about that. I often share this story, you know, every year, every year in the summertime, LSU is just talking, 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 talking about how they're going to beat Bama and every other school uh, in college football, (laughs) right? And I, and I know that we all love our, whatever our home school is, you know, whatever our, our alma mater is, but LSU does it. And most SEC schools do it like no other. I will give them that. That's Every year they start talking about it and they start branding and they start messaging it out. And not just what you see on TV, but even amongst people, amongst alumni, amongst the communities, uh, particularly uh, in Louisiana, but also like here in Nashville, there's a very strong LSU alumni association here. So they start branding and getting that word out, right? And so people are already starting to come in, uh, starting to gather in their mind a perception of what LSU football will be for the fall, right? Like they might do it. They may make it. They may win. They may beat Bama. They may go all the way, right? (laughs) It starts from a intentional grassroots effort. So when we think about that and think about how we're branding our schools, if we're not telling our story, if we're not starting to plant those seeds, 
of, of achievement, of success, of, of perseverance with our kids, their parents, our community, then we're missing out. We're missing out because no matter if you're in, uh, like you said, an urban area, a rural area, uh, a, a wealthy, affluent area like I'm in now, if you are not telling your story, no one is going to know what great things that you're doing. And every single, I, I'm a firm believer, every single district is doing something right, right? They have some bright spots, probably more than one in their district, but you have to get that story out. And that's when we can really leverage the use of social media as leaders, educating ourselves in basic marketing, uh, you know, strategies so we can do it well. Okay. We want, we don't want to be self-centered in our marketing, you know, but we want to, we want to tell our story in such a way that elevates our profession and puts the spotlight on our kids and what they're doing K through 12. Yeah. You know, that's so right. Cause if you don't tell it the positive things that are going on in the school, it is very easy for someone else to tell the negative things that are going on. And so um, when, when you talk about using social media and, and, and getting the word, what are some easy, low-cost or no-cost ways or tools that leaders can start using or taking advantage of that can help with telling their story? Well, the first tool is right between our ears. It's right here in our head, and it's our mindset. There are still a lot of leaders that feel like they already have a lot on their plate, and they do. I've definitely been there and done that. Um, but that they don't need to do that, or they didn't go to school for social media marketing or advertising. Um, you know, in my course as an educator, I've done a lot of things that I may not have gone to school for. I may not have thought that's what I should be doing. But if it's best for kids, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust my butt, and I'm going to learn how to do it to the best of my ability. Or... I am going to crowdsource it. Being a leader is not always about you, the leader, doing everything. Actually, it's never about you doing everything. But being able to empower those around you, surrounding yourself with people that have the skills that you may lack um, and have that proficiency that you may lack and empowering them to take the baton and run with it and go. So when we think about social media, if you're a leader or a teacher, because leadership is also not a title, it's a journey, no matter what your capacity that you serve kids, if you don't have a social media account, particularly Twitter, because that's huge for education, if you don't have a social media account uh, that's open for your kids, for your parents, um, for the community to see what you're doing in your classroom or your school, then you're already missing the boat. And that's free to do. That's free to do. Then once you get that account, connect with people that you see that you like how they're doing their messaging. Connect with them, reach out to them, have a conversation with them so you can start figuring out what your messaging is. Connect with people who have done this really well, um, who talk about this, who speak about it. There's tons of free resources out there, but connect with them and figure out what you need to do. Baby steps, right? Baby steps to get it done. But to not take a step is a disservice to your kids and the culture and community of your school. Preach. I'm telling you, that's some good information right there. You know, I, I really 
when you talk about uh, leadership as empowering others, you know, as mm -hmm. a, for mm -hmm. myself, anyone is, that has ever worked on one of my faculties will always tell you one of my favorite quotes, and I always repeat it to everyone, whether they like it or not, <laughs> is that if everyone does a little, that's right. No one has to do a lot. That's and right. Many times we have people that have to do a lot. You know what I mean? But if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. You know, that's like, and actually, you know, social media and Twitter, that's actually how we came to be on this podcast. So, Absolutely. So this is living proof, a great example of how becoming a connected leader uh, can really impact not only your school, but your personal and professional growth as well. So I just love all of that. So let me ask you this. Um, in, in, in working with leaders, you know, I find uh, um, some of them are comfortable with just doing, um, I call them the three Bs, right? Okay, the, the three Bs, the, the, the books, the buses, and the butts, you know what I mean? The textbooks, the, all of the yeah. you know, procedural things, you know what I mean? The discipline and things of that nature. And you know, there, we have a high need and a strong need in education across the country for instructional leaders. You know, people who actually can be where the instruction is taking place and be able to have conversations with teachers and help them grow as well any guidance for people who want to grow with instruction sure it's so funny you mentioned the three b's that uh probably one of the last posts that i've written was called books butts and busters and um <laughs> for those of you who are listening you can find it on marlenataylor.com under my blog post but it talks about just that um last year i re-entered the uh the school district as a district leader over the middle and high schools and that became so apparent that even though i had great educators they were passionate about what they were doing and they were busy oh my gosh they were so busy but they were busy doing the wrong things they were busy with managerial things that they have secretaries for that they have other staff for and what i found was and it's not it's not just this particular district i see this all over the country when i go speak or deliver trainings it's easy to be in our comfort zone and be a manager. It's harder to step outside of our comfort zone and be a leader and to acknowledge the things that we may not have been great at. And when it comes to instruction, the folks that tend to struggle being instructional leaders, and this is just real talk here, Wiley, they probably weren't strong teachers. They were yes. great managers, you know, and they probably managed their classroom very well but their classroom probably wasn't steeped in the latest research-based strategies for their kids, okay? It's, it's important to know your role and know what your strengths are too. So when I, when I uh, coach and help districts and help principals find their footing, being an instructional leader, a lot of times it's them going back and having to reassess what kind of teacher they were because no matter what our title may be, we're still teachers first. And then being committed to going back and, and learning our craft, again, if that is what it takes, or um, adding more tools to our tool belt, uh, instructional tools to our tool belt, and 
that means investing in yourself. Um, yes, there's a ton of free PD on Twitter with all the Twitter chats and resources. And for some people that works for them, for others, they need to do webinars. Um, for others, they need to go to an ed camp or a regional conference or, or whatever it might be, or a national conference, because they need that aha moment, first of all, like, okay, this is what I was missing when I was trying to do this particular thing. And then they also need, now here are the people that I need to connect with because they're doing it well in their district, no matter where it might be. Yes. And they can help me on this journey in my school. All right, cool. So I want to circle back around to um, that, that piece of um, when we were talking about positive school uh, outcomes or positive school view. And part of that engaging with parents okay mm -hmm. with parents and so uh, can you give a few like strategies uh, on you know what you have seen as successful parent engagement um, in schools sure sure now some of these things you know that I'm going to mention I've been guilty of I've done them but when you know better you do better right so <laughs> oftentimes when That's we think they call learning from experience that's what they call it, you know? And oftentimes when we think about parent engagement and, and I'll ask a school or a principal or someone, hey, what do you do for parent engagement? Oh, we have literacy night or we have a math night. That's not enough. That is not the engagement that your parents need. You have to look at the generation of your parents, okay? Um, I lead a lot of workshops on generational leadership. You have to understand what generation your parents are. Now, as much as I like to say that I'm 28 forever, um, and I truly believe that on most days, <laughs> I'm not. So most of the parents of our kids right now in school are either around my age or even younger. And their expectations of engagement, their expectations uh, are just different from my parents or my grandparents, okay? They want to know what's going on and they don't consider that being a helicopter parent. They want to be involved and they want that social media aspect because that is the nature, part of their nature of their generation as well. So when we think about true parent engagement, okay? We wanna come up with ways where parents can first of all, be involved and know what's going on at the school. I've sent out newsletters before. Of course, we all have. I sent out a newsletter. You didn't read it in your newsletter? When a parent says they didn't see something, you still need to send out newsletters. Digital newsletters are great. You can use s'mores. You can use all kinds of things. Maybe your district has a, a call out uh, company or a vendor that they use, but you also should have a Facebook page. You should have a Twitter account. Um, if you're really edgy, you should have a school Snapchat account. Okay, because the parents of your kids, they're on those, they're in those spaces, and so are your kids. So when you talk about parent engagement, every parent, no matter what age they are, they want to see their baby shine. So yes, when you yes. can put your baby out on those, and you have the permission, when you can put the, your baby, their baby out on those platforms, and you're tagging them, not only are the parents going to be more likely to tune in, but the kids will too. The kids will do the same. Um, you know, think about how you do announcements. Let's think about that for a second. 
if you're still reading your announcements, and I'm picking on high school right now, because I still know a lot of high school that the principal that is the highlight of their day to read the announcements over the intercom, <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. If you say, well, Marlena, we're doing a green screen and the kids are doing, you know, our daily announcements every day. Okay, and I'm gonna challenge you further. Are you Facebook living it? Are you streaming it through your Facebook? Because the parents of our kids today, they still love Facebook more. Yes. Are you streaming it? Have you communicated who's gonna be out there uh, presenting? Because if I know that Daniel or Colin are gonna be on a, my, their school's Facebook Live, you better believe, I don't care where I am, I'm tuning in, right? <laughs> so I can have that moment. But are you streaming it? If you're having a literacy night or a math night, what are you doing for your parents that can't make it? Are you periscoping it? You know, what are you doing to bring that video uh, in? Because we know now, the research tells us that people watch videos. They're not gonna read your email very much, but they'll watch a little video. When you send out email communications to your parents, if you're sending that long email and it's all written word, parents probably aren't gonna read it. But if you send a short minute video of the hot points, even so much to say, check out, check out this week's newsletter because in it we have our sign up for this or that. We're also gonna be showcasing the choir on Thursday night, whatever it might be. If you do a short video, they're gonna to listen to that video and that will give them reason to now look at your email. I like that. I like that. And, you know, and, and the kids, you know, I know you mentioned uh, Facebook and Twitter and, and Snapchat. I don't really do the Snapchat, but there are parents that are there. You are correct. And, and then don't forget that they also do it for the gram. Okay. That's right. So they, they have got to be on the gram as well. For those of you listening, that's Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so I do want to <laughs> ask you, I do want to ask you another question uh, sure. for leaders here. And, you know, you just mentioned earlier that many of them get busy with doing a variety, you know, as a people underestimate the job of a principal or an instructional leader at the campus you know they have to be that that's one of the only jobs um, that that you know they have to be everything for everyone you know they have to be a counselor a firefighter a policeman a lawyer uh, you know and, and just there are so many things that happen over the course of the day that no two days are the same so sometimes as leaders, and I mean, I've been guilty of this as well. We can all get bogged down with a variety of things. What do you recommend or how can a leader find balance in, you know, effective leadership and uh, 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 the, the paperwork and the email and, the, you know, the building relationships? You know, what are some strategies that you think can help a leader of fine balance? Well, so I'm gonna push back a little bit. We can't be everything to all people in a building. And I think because we feel that, and maybe we've been taught that that's what a principal or an educational leader looks like, we try. And that's why we fail. And that's why our principals burn out after three years. You know, we can't do that. We can't keep up that pace. And I think not only are we are in an era where we're rethinking engagement with our kids 
and rethinking how we support our teachers, we must, we must rethink how we support our principals and the expectations that come with it. So you can't be that way. And I think you need to know that and own it and say, I cannot be everything to everyone. You have to prioritize, right? I'm going to go back to LSU one more time. All right, I'm going to go back to LSU because <laughs> I, I love my Tigers. You know, when I think about the head football coach of any team, you can, you can insert your favorite team there. That head coach can't be everywhere. That head coach isn't on every recruiting trip. That head coach is not calling all the plays. That head coach can't be at everything they have to be at for the team and still go to fundraising opportunities and other press junkets, right? They have coaches underneath them. They have their assistant coaches. And I think when we apply that, that same strategy to education, it will cause us to rethink how we look at leadership in our schools. Yes, we have our assistant principals and they do handle quite a bit of the discipline and things like that. But our teachers are leaders too. They're assistant coaches too. I kind of see my assistant principals as my, my defensive and offensive coordinators. Okay. Right. All so right. they're helping to call the plays, but my teachers are my assistant coaches. They're the position coaches. They're the position coaches and our kids. Those are our players. Right. So when we take that strategy and start to really divvy up and and get over ourselves as leaders that we have to control everything because control is relative. When we empower other people to do jobs and even if we know that they may drop a plate while they're doing it, we have to help them pick up the pieces of that plate because that's how they learn as a leader and as a professional. When we start doing that, then we will have more time in our schedule to be the head coach, okay? The other thing that we need to do, you need to, you need to, um, you need to definitely prioritize what your duties are and you need to form that out to your, your, your staff and your assistant principals. But you also need to schedule space in your calendar for your professional development on leadership and, and for visioning. And, and I would encourage you to schedule that space outside of the school. And here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> I would have on my calendar once a week and also made sure my assistant principals had it too, where they were not in the building. I didn't care if they wanted to go to the local, local coffee shop, uh, whatever that might be, a restaurant, whatever, whatever their quiet place is, the bookstore. But I, I needed that time and I made sure they had that time where they can leave the campus and work on their self-development as a leader. And then also for visioning if there were passion projects that they wanted. For my teachers, I tried my best to make sure that I honored their time and their planning. And at the middle school level, you know, we can give them two planning periods because that is the middle school model. <laughs> and if you're a great master scheduler, then you can do that. Where they had a period where they had that time where they weren't gonna be interrupted by me by parents, by anyone else, where they could also work on their professional development and, and their vision, whatever their passion projects were as well. It's okay to have white space in your calendar. If you have your calendar, is, is every minute is packed with something you're doing the most and you're going home tired. Definitely. All right. Cool. So, so we have talk shop here and I'm just loving everything and I could actually just continue this conversation, but you know, we would continue going on and the list.
here until tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm going to skip over and give the, the audience a chance to learn more about you personally, okay? So, because, you know, whenever we have a seat at a table and get to know people, we, 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 we ask questions, we tell stories, we tell jokes, and that's what we're going to do now. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what would constitute a perfect day for you? Okay. Oh my gosh. Depends on what that day, what time of year it is. So I'm a summer baby for a reason. So being born in Louisiana is right up my alley because um, the cold weather is not my friend. <laughs> so a perfect day for me, honestly, is, is starting off anywhere near water, preferably warm water, um, and just having my coffee outside, grabbing my book because I am a bookaholic and being able to read and, and then hopping on my computer and, and really pounding out some cool things writing wise uh, before I get my day started. That's a perfect start of my day. And then being able to just help my boys, even though it's like herding cats, I don't care how old they are, um, <laughs> helping them get out of the house and, and getting breakfast and talking to them in the morning and engaging them in the morning before they head out for their day. Um, that's, that's a perfect day for me. All right, cool. So, so then um, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one ability or one quality, what would it be? Probably to live forever. And here's why. Here's why. I feel, I feel like there are so many things that I want to do. There are a lot of things that I feel that I'm good at and there's just not enough time. And I want the opportunity to try all those things that, that catch my fancy, that I'm passionate about. And um, I try to live each day like it is my last day in that regard. Instead of waiting, I hear, you know, you've heard teachers and principals say this, oh, when I retire, I'm going to do so-and-so. I'm the one coming in saying, why are you going to wait till you retire? You know, yeah. do it now. Do it now. Find a way. Rearrange. Do whatever you have to do, but don't wait. If there are things that you're passionate about and that you want to do, do it now. So I would probably ask for, maybe not forever, but just more time, at least until I'm about 200 years old. And I think I can get everything probably wrapped up around then. (laughs) All right. All right. So then going right along with that question, that line of of living, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say... You couldn't make, you didn't make it to 200. Let's say you were at 90, okay? Let's okay. Say 90, okay? All right, so if you were able to live to the age of 90, okay, and retain either the body of a 30-year-old or the mind of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? It depends if I've met my crush, The Rock, or not. <laughs> and, and and how he's looking so yeah anybody listening that's my boyfriend so any help making that meetup happen is great um you know what I'd have to say that um I'd have to that's a tough one I would just want my eyesight so I'd have to say body <laughs> because I read so much and and I you know I tell my boys all the time my greatest fear is losing my eyesight because I like to read. I like to hold the book and read it and mm-hmm. have my coffee or my tea right there. Um, 
but I can't say the, I can't say the mind of a 30 year old because the mistakes that I made when I was 30, the first time, you know, I don't know if I want to live in that space forever and ever like 50 first dates. Cool. Cool. So then, um, if you could take a one month trip anywhere and money were not an option, consideration, where would you go and what would you do? Easily. I would go to France. I would go to France. I would explore the countryside. I would, uh, of course, see all of, all of the landmarks and things like that. And here's the reason why. Um, when I was in high school, my uh, high school would go, you know, in the summers for two weeks and you could choose France or Spain or some other places. And, um, and I wanted to go to France and, and was an honor student in French and, and all of that. And we're Louisiana. So most people speak some form of French and I wasn't able to go because my grandmother um, became really ill and she, it was her last summer with us during my senior year. And it was a no brainer. I just wasn't going to France and she was upset. No, you need to go. And I said, you know what? It's been here that long. It'll be here a little bit longer. So that is one of the things that I will be doing um, sooner than you think, but I will be going to France and spending a month and just enjoying it, just living it, loving the culture and, uh, and just learning more about it. Cool. 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 Parlez-vous français? So, so uh, <laughs> before we go, can you either, you know, I always have every guest to either tell a joke or, or a story. So if, if, if it can be from your, you know, your past as an educator or not. Um, so can you, before we go, can you tell us either a quick joke or a story? Okay. Gosh, I'm awful at jokes. People say I'm pretty funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> um, but I will tell you this story. I will tell you this story because, you know, one of the things that I do right now and that's afforded me the opportunity to do what I do is uh, creating Edge of Gladiators and starting that movement and, and that company now. And, you know, I'd love to share how I, I got the idea, how I started it, because most people will ask me this. I am a scandal fanatic. So yes, I'm having a little bit of a fit because tomorrow's the last episode ever of scandal. <laughs> but uh, several years ago when I was uh, a principal, still a principal in the district, um, it had been a particularly rough week. And, um, and I was, it, it was just a long day. And all I wanted to do was sit down and uh, I wanted the boys to get them situated so I could watch scandal with my glass of wine and call it a day and let's try to get through Friday to the weekend. And as I was watching Scandal, I always participate in, um, in our middle school chat, MS chat is on Thursdays. And I was just a newly connected educator at that time. So I was participating in that. And for some reason, I can't even remember the question, but the responses to the question felt like an echo chamber. And again, I'd had a really rough week and I was like, you know what, time out for all of this. So the old Marlena came out, not the principal Marlena, are, are the one that's so worried, like my superintendent's watching my Twitter feed <laughs> and you know, all these things. I, I can't even remember the question, but I responded back 
just how I felt. And I, and I put, we have to put our kids first. We have to wear the white hat for our kids without apology. And I put hashtag edu gladiators. Yes. And it just literally took off from there. And I had what, what was so amazing. I had so many people, um, part of my PLN, but also strangers saying, oh my gosh, I love that. Are you are so brave. I'm like, but you are too, because we're doing what's best for kids. We all, we all have to eat, but we also have to sleep, right? Yes. And so we can't just get caught up in rhetoric. We have to put action behind our words and we have to speak truth to power. And that has been... Um, really just the, the start of Edgy Gladiators and how it's gone into empowering, uh, empowering people, empowering teachers, and really bringing in this whole new era of leadership of how we engage our students and how we engage each other and also how we advocate for our students and how we advocate for our profession. And it started from an episode of Scandal, a glass of wine and a long week. <laughs> that is that is great that is great and you know I, I really like that when you say you know hey we have to eat but we also have to sleep because man I know if if I don't do what's in the best interest of kids and then what's in the best interest of the institution daily I wouldn't be able to sleep at night you know no. so no, you wouldn't. And, and Wiley, I'm a preacher's kid, too. So uh, as my grandmother would say, I'm not going to hell for anybody else. So I want to do what's right for kids, right? Because that's what we should do. Definitely, definitely. So about Edge Gladiator. So when does that take place? I know you so, but when does it take place? Sure. So we have a weekly chat every Saturday at 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's only 30 minutes. Four questions, but they're powerful questions of, of asking about leadership, engagement, and advocacy. And then it's not just a hashtag, and that's something that we stress. Uh, I have a group of core warriors that are in this arena with me, helping to lead. And we are pushing the thinking. We're having the conversations that, um, that people are wanting and they're, that are needing to be had. Uh, in our in our society right now as it pertains to education and outside of education. But we also, uh, if you go to our website, uh, edugladiators.com, we also have live uh, podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And we just started our new community group called The Arena. Um, so really right. excited about that. And we have free webinars that will be streaming in, in The Arena as well in the coming weeks. Cool. Well, congratulations on that. I'm definitely glad we got that in before. We thank you so much for everything that you are doing. Do you have any last thoughts before we get the contact information? <laughs> you know what, Wally? Thank you for having me on your show. I think it's a great concept having a seat at the table because that's really what it's about and making sure everybody has a seat at the table. The only last thought that I would have is that and anyone listening uh, to the sound of my voice right now is that never be afraid to do what's best for kids. Every, every kid deserves a gladiator behind them, pushing them, encouraging them and motivating them to be their very best. And that person is you. Definitely. So, so 
with the with this information, can you give the people where they can go to? I know you just gave some, uh, something about gladiators, uh, 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 but give them the information where they can get everything about edgy gladiators, about Marlena's gross tail. You know how to find you on social media. Can you give everyone that they can connect with you? Absolutely, absolutely. So you can find me really simple. Um, I'm on Twitter at M Gross Taylor, M G R O S S Taylor. You also can uh, find me on my website and be connected to all my social media on Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff at MarlenaTaylor.com. We'd love to have you join in with Edge of Gladiators again. You can visit our website, edgeofgladiators.com, pick up your swag, see any past podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on on Instagram. We're on the gram. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say Instagram. I'm telling my age. We're on the gram. <laughs> and you also can um, and shop for any Edge of Gladiators swag so you can show and literally get the white hat for students as well uh, to show your dedication to our kids. Um, and you can also follow Edge of Gladiators on Twitter. Great, great, great. So, Marlene, this has been a great time here. Thank you again for joining me today and sharing your time, talents, and treasure with me and the world. Uh, to everyone tuning in, thank you for participating in this conversation. And like a home-cooked meal, I hope that this show has nourished your body and your mind. So until next time, with me, you will always have a seat at the table. Thank you, Marlena. Thank you, Wiley. Thanks for having me.